amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, Hockey World. It's Tuesday, May 31st, 2016. I'm Michael Ajello. I'm Jillian Fisher. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Eklund. Why did the Echo start when we started introducing the show? <laughs> Very strange. Anyway, I'm Eklund. You're watching the Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. This is the podcast that comes to you every Monday through Friday at this time or hereabouts, sometimes earlier than this. We're a little bit late today. We're um, adjusting for, you know, the Pittsburgh time change. Pittsburgh is a half hour off, as you all know. Um, they, they turn their, their half hour different. So, um, yeah, out in Pittsburgh. So I'm here. Russ was here last night. And uh, this is a – it was um, – it was a fun game, and thanks to those who stopped by to visit between the second and third period, even though Russ blew you off completely. I, I was there for like seven or eight minutes, not five. Okay, so this is like this is like the really uncomfortable. This is like one of those things that meet up like this, where you're just throwing it out there ten minutes beforehand, um, is like really funny. I've done this before, and it always is the same. Like you, you go there and you stand there for a while, extremely uncomfortably, waiting for. And fortunately, you know, I had Russ with me, so I'm not just standing there by myself. I've done this where I'm just standing by myself. That's I don't know why that's uncomfortable. I guess I'm weird though, and I've. Uh, <laughs> for, I don't know. It's, for, for me, I'm in a suit. You know, every, everyone's wearing a. Yeah, remember, everyone's wearing a bright yellow shirt. Like we're on the concourse, so everyone's just walking around, and I just right. look like a guy in a suit there. So I'm like. You so know, people and, are staring. And, you don't like people staring, is what you're saying. Right. Well, people are obvious. It's obvious that I am, you know, different, right? In this at this time, so I'm standing there, and no you know, doubt, Russ comes out with it. Russ comes out and perfectly, and you know we're so we're talking to each other and start showing pictures of our you know, pictures of our dogs with each other on the phone as we try to figure out what to do while we wait for people to possibly arrive. And then there's a lot of people like standing around. And there was a couple people over here looking at us, and we're wondering, are they just looking at like why? Who are those freaks? Who are those freaks? Kids, or are they you know the kind of thing? Or they, they want to come and say hi, but they don't really want to come. They feel weird coming up to us, even though I said come up and say hi, which is actually was true. Like two of the people that were over here, Russ, they just just after you left, they came. <laughs> but um. So and then there were some other people, but but when you say this too, you have to realize that people are all over the stadium, and it takes a long time to get to one specific section. So you know, but I think the uncomfortable. I gave them got like seven minutes. That's ample time. Seven minutes is ample time to get from any part seven of the arena. Seven minutes is not ample. No, no. I think oh. Mike's agreed with me. I think. Yeah, J Jillian. The, the thing is yeah. that if I was there, this would there would have been no problem. Everybody would have thronged. They would have just come in. They would have recognized us. You know, there, there would have no, been no honestly, problem. Yeah. They would have been flocking for you, right? This is where you want a woman with you, buddy. This is where you want a woman. This is like I've done this before. And I did meetups with Julie back in the day, and if I did a meetup, it was one thing. If, if I said come meet Julie and I, it's a totally different thing. Well, so, that's been a problem with me for a while, so we're not going to go into that. So. I know. So you need a woman for lots of things, but if nothing else, for meetups. <laughs> that's the most important reason to have a woman in your life: meetups. There you go. You guys are like you, you like to open these cans of worms, don't you? If you really uh, do. Yeah. Do you like? Do, does it? Is it? You want to see what happens when you say things? I'm messing with. I know you guys are not like that. I I'm gonna revolutionize them. We can do it as much. You're very cool with knowing that we're weird, and that's all fine. So. What was, you know, that? What was that? <laughs> I'm gonna revolutionize the meetup here. Here's what I'm gonna do. 
I'll be there game five. If okay. you want to stay high, send a message or just tweet it out, and, and I'll come by and I'll say hi in that in that area, section 120. I'll be there. I'm not going anywhere. Just wandering around. <laughs> we'll be I, there. Went I went shopping. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get anything good? That's my question. Nah, I mean, I, I almost bought a game puck, but that was it. They, you I know, have from every Stanley Cup finals I've covered. I didn't get one yet. But I did a better job with just Stanley Cup merchandise at the arenas. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. I'd like to see something new and, you know, except for coins and pucks, like just something different. There wasn't anything different. They could do scarves. You know, guys, you know, oh, my scarf is missing. Sorry, I forgot to put my scarf. <laughs> they could do scarves. Scarves are good. Yeah, like I'm going to buy a pashmina scarf, right? It's not pashmina, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not angry. I was just, uh, I can tell you what it is. It is. I don't think I would just say that no one in our crowd. It's 100% acrylic. Yeah, so. it's, it's burlap. That's what it is. Sorry. Like if they had a Stanley Cup phone case, maybe I would have bought it. You know, like things like that. Uh, they should sell these things. I'm obsessed with these things, the light, the light up wristbands. They could make yeah, a fortune off of those. I might have yeah. bought one of those, yeah. See, uh, but honestly, people, I feel like people would actually buy these if they didn't give them out. So that could, they should yeah, buy these. Because it, it has the logo on it. So yeah. they could just put like 2016 Stanley Cup final, and there you go. Right. And if you bought them, you probably throw it away. Like, you would have a different app, that different attitude. It would mean something to you, so you probably wouldn't throw it on the eyes. Maybe. I don't know. All right, let's start the show up really officially here. We did already do the introduction, I think. Yeah, <laughs> we did that. We were doing the show. Um, first of all, sad news, of course. Um, even though you know, Russ is usually the one to talk about the deaths in the world. Um, I'm going to start with that. Um, and uh, no, I mean, also happened. A poor guy died. I know, I know. Rick McLeish passed away. We knew he was sick for a while. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sad day for Flyers fans for sure. One of the one of the key. Um, Members of that, the, probably the like the one key member who isn't retired, his, his number isn't retired from that Stanley Cup run, yeah. would be him. You know, and um, yeah, he's you know, just he scored the winning goal in, in against the Bruins to win the first Stanley Cup. Um, but his, and he's supposed to be famous, known for you know the uh, basically what we and I just brought him up the other day, the Jonathan Drew angle, which he scored the other day, which is the which is the cutting across the ice, shooting against the green goal. Um, that is that is what you know McLeish sort of made famous. And uh, a good friend of mine who I grew up playing hockey with all the time would, would always do that do that shot on me. And I was a goalie, and he was a shooter. And we would always call it, you know, oh, the Rick McLeish move, you know, that's um, that was Rick McLeish. So, yeah, it, it's sad. He's a, he's a really good guy, and, um, you know, thoughts go to his family and everything like that. Have you dealt, dealt with him at all, Russ? Yeah, I interviewed him once for sure. And I kind of think when I got my knee worked on, I when I was at the rehab place, that he was getting his knee worked on at the same time, I'm pretty sure. Um but no, he was a good guy. He he was frustrating to root against because he could just score from anywhere on the ice, and you just he was just a great goal scorer. And to root against him was tough because you always were watching where he was on the ice because he was just one of those dynamic guys. And then I think what he went to the um, Oakland Seals and then the California Golden Seals at some point, right? Yeah. So there was a, there was a San Jose connection kind of to him in a way. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's really true. Um, he was, and he's he's what people don't realize. When quite often I would talk about the um, the Broad Street Bullies that won the Stanley Cup, you know that this this was a really skilled player that was on that oh, team. They had a few of these really skilled players that weren't they weren't just all fighters. And this is Rick was not a fighter at all. I mean, he, he this is a guy who I think maybe fought two or three times in his career, maybe, but 
Yeah, I mean, um, he was he was sort of unsung though because I mean for being such a good scorer. I mean he scored 50 goals once. He's almost scored 50 a second time. And when you think of the flyer, the you know the Broad Street Bully Flyers, obviously you think of all the fighters. When you think of the, the sort of the scoring arm of that team, you think of Barber, Barber, Leach, and and Clark. It's sort of a, almost, and it's and, and it's sort of sad in a way. It's a sort almost a secondary thought. Yeah. You know, Rick McLeishan, he was a very good scorer. I mean, very a very good offensive player. And uh, I, I looked it up, Russ. He played after Philly. Somebody's ringing that. Uh, after Philly, he played in Hartford for a year, played in Pittsburgh for two for uh, parts of two seasons, went back to Philadelphia for a year, and then finished in Detroit. So he never was he a SEAL before the Flyers? No, he came up. He came up with a, he was draft. He was drafted in 1970, and he he debuted in the, with the Flyers okay. in '71. Okay, and then they confused with somebody else. Okay, yeah, Reggie Leach. Leach Reggie was, Leach did. Yeah, that's. I used to get Leach and McLeish confused as a kid, so I'm still doing it. The names are so close. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, he was the smoothest skater on the Flyers team. He was just. He was just. He was smooth. He was just very, very smooth. It's hard to explain. Like um. You know, I you know number nineteen. I always thought should have been retired, um, personally. But that was just one of the. You can't retire every number in the world, but at some point you have to stop. He was I don't know. They're doing a good job lately. They're on. A, they're on a roll. Yeah, I know. I think this is a good one. I, I really. Um, yeah. So that that's Rick um, There you have it. So moving on to last night's game. Let's get into last night's game. Uh, there was a couple of thoughts that I had in the arena that were that you know you had a different kind of feel in the arena. First of all, the. Um, Auxiliary press box that we set up in the arena is really um is, is, so there's always the way the way these Stanley Cup Finals works. So much accurate. Sorry, I don't know. Mike, I think it's your side. Actually, I'll log off and log back on. They both muted, yeah. Um, so the way this works, Mike, to log off. <laughs> the way this the way this works is this. Um, usually there's just a press box and you go to the, you go to the press box. Um, but in the Stanley Cup Finals and other major events like the All-Star Game, there's a ton of media there, and they have to create what they call an auxiliary press box. And generally that auxiliary press box is a section of the stands that are taken out, and they put tables and chairs in there, and you have this auxiliary press box. And I love being in the auxiliary press box, personally, because you actually are, you're, in the, you're in the crowd. You don't feel like you're isolated that way in the press box. You always have a better view of the game. And uh, and you really get a you really get a sense of what's going on. Like for example, you could almost be knocked over by a giant stuffed penguin, you know, walking by you, that kind of thing. Um, With an annoying happened. drum, but that's beside the point. Right, and we, we walked right in front of you, Rush. You could have punched him. Um, so so we're there, and uh, so we're but usually the auxiliary press box is is like in behind a goal, way up high, and that's where it's been in Chicago and other places like that too. But the penguins, for some reason, even going back to when they were in the igloo. Always put the auxiliary press box in the first level, and it's like so you're literally in the we're in I'm in the corner. I mean these are these you're talking about like what would be five hundred dollars seats. I don't know why they're taking these things out these seats out and not putting the press up higher, but they I'm not complaining, right? Yeah, so so we were in great we were in great. I really got a sense of the vibe of that arena and the the vibe of those fans. And Penguins Pen Pen fans, you know, you you mentioned Russ, they really they were loud. They brought it. They are very very loud. They really were great. And um, but the one thing I noticed about them. Is is a real sense of apprehension in the and throughout the whole thing. Um, there, this is a team that obviously went through a lot this year. They, they you, could, you could sense it. You know, this is a very hot team right now. But there was a point when this team was really not good this year. And I think there's almost a feeling in the fans of like, is that going to come back? 
right. at times. And you really sense it in the you really sense it in the crowd for whatever reason. You just sense this. They're really into it when they're when they're winning. But man, in that second period when the Sharks started taking it to them, it was uh it was fascinating. Could it wow. also be that the Penguins have yet to really have this dominating game all the way through? It always seems like teams are able to chip back at leads on them. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think they generally are winning. That's not that's not the problem. But through the Caps and the Lightning series, they were always it. It was always they were able to crawl back somehow. So there is yeah, that. No, that, and and you know, that goes even further back into like the last few years when the Penguins have had to have tended to get leads, three nothing leads for the Penguins have always been death. You know, they, they get a three nothing lead and the, the teams come back on them all the time. So the crowd last night when the Sharks started coming back, there was this feeling of like, oh, this is a familiar thing. Okay, we've been here before. This is when our team starts to lose it. And there was it was really, I mean, for about the first ten minutes, even the first five minutes five to like seven minutes of that second period, the Sharks were the Sharks. They were the Sharks that, that, that eliminated the Predators in, with Crazy in Game 7, that eliminated the Blues. The rest of the game, the Sharks really weren't the Sharks. So it's hard to, now, you know, the, and, it, and like I wrote today, Brent Birds, who's just amazing interviewing and, and hearing him, comes out and says, you know, holy bleep, you know, we're in the finals. That's the title of my blog today. And that's what he said. He said, that's what he felt like when he got out there. He's like, holy bleep, we're in the finals. And the whole weekend, you know, media day, every Joe Thornton, there was a real difference between the Penguins and 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 Sharks people talking. I felt the Sharks guys were like, "Wow, this is we really are excited to be here. This is great." And they would always end the sentence with a caveat, like, "Oh wait, wait a second, I'm supposed to say, but we still have four games to go. Like, oh, we still have to win. You know, we still we can't take it for granted yet. We haven't won anything yet." But the beginning of them was really, like, "This is really exciting. We're this is a lot." And they were, but the Penguins you didn't get any of either. The Penguins no, were actually, like, yeah. Justin Schultz did actually say that." Okay, so there's a but there's a new penguin. There's a penguin who hasn't right. been here before, right? So, right. but you know, for most of them, they weren't saying we got to stay focused. It's funny to me. This one person joked around with me one time in the media, an old guy who retired from media, who I really respected, who said that whenever a player says that they have to remain focused, they're not telling you; they're telling themselves. And I think that is very funny, and it is kind of true. Like you know, to sit there and say he's saying you know when the penguins didn't have, Crosby didn't have to say we still have four games to go. He's there, you know. He has, he knows that they have four games to go. He's not going to say that to you. Mike. Well, I mean, the the thing is, is that, and I joked about this after the first period. I said, uh, obviously, the Sharks thought that the game started at 8 p.m. Pacific because they didn't show up in the first period. They were completely absent. Not really old, yeah. You you saw Pittsburgh, you know, with the throttle full open and flying by the the Sharks uh, in the in the offensive zone, and you know. I think I think actually Jones made a few saves that kept it two nothing that enabled them to to get back into the game. It w- it was not the complete opposite in the second, but it was pretty close to being the complete opposite. I like anybody who was at at that home end of the arena got the got their money's worth out of their tickets because they saw all five goals last. By the way, that was not the end we were at. <laughs> we were at the we were at the end where none of the goals were scored. Yeah, anyway, yeah. great season. We were at the opposite. End of the but so, and so I know we've said this too about. This happens a lot with teams that play against the Penguins in the first period. It, I think some of the credit has to be given to the Penguins. I think that they are able to come out there and shock other teams. It's not. I don't even know if it's 100% the Sharks didn't show up. I, it's, we said this about Lightning in Game 6. It, they just This Penguins team has that effect on other teams. They really do. Well, I, I, think, I think in part the Sharks underestimated the the Penguins in terms of their speed. I mean, I they, so. they were clear. They were clearly caught caught flat-footed. At least I. I, 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 I mean, they were sensitive. 
The board said it. They were standing around watching. He did. He said it. I mean, you know, you're, you're watching, but who's going to underestimate the speed of the Penguins? I mean, like you know, the Penguins are coming in, and oh, you know, it's, it's it's one thing to be told that they're fast. Yeah. It's another to actually experience it. Okay. I think it's like this, Eck. I think their game plan was let's bottle them up in the neutral zone, and we'll eliminate a lot of their scoring. But the problem was where they were trying to bottle them up, the Penguins were able to get around that with speed and really good passing. Right. And so when that failed. The defense of the Sharks had no idea what to do for right. about eight, ten minutes in that period. Really had no clue what to do. Now they they rebounded a little bit, but by the end of the second period, if it weren't for that Marlow goal, again they were having trouble. They were on and off with their defense all game, and Paul Martin was starting to show his age, and that's another problem. Yeah, and I mean one of the things that I think San Jose is going to have to do if they have a chance to win this series. Is and they started to do this in the second period and maybe continued it a little bit in the third. But I thought in the third it was Jones who kept them in and held the game 2-2 until until the winning goal by Benino. But the Sharks started to get physical and they really they I think they have more size yeah. and I, I think they have the ability to go out there and they have to bang Latang in the corner. They have to hit guys like Cole. And they and they have to they have to work on Crosby. Malkin, forget about it. He's too big. He's too fast. He's running over people like crazy. So I don't think you can really wear him down. But the smaller guys and the key guys on the Penguins, you've got to beat them into the ground if you hope to win the series. They started to do that a little bit in the second half of the game, but I think they have to do more of that if they have a chance to win. But on that note, I mean, we I've said it a lot too. This Penguins team. This was the most composed I've seen them thus far. They didn't. They could have very. I've seen them get flustered yeah. when a team comes back and ties it after they've been dominating. You saw it maybe a tiny bit, but not. And that might have just been the emotions of the first game of the Stanley Cup final showing. But that was for that level of a game and for that high of an intensity. And they came back tied at two-two. The Sharks were putting pressure on them. They didn't let their emotions get to them. If they can keep it at that level and the Sharks keep pounding them, it's going to be hard for the Sharks because that was a big concern for the Penguins coming in was the physicality of the Sharks coming in and getting under the skin of the Penguins. And if they can't do that a little bit, then that's going to be problematic. That's a great point. And honestly, what makes these teams different, I've talked about it before, but I really see it again, is the teams that are left are the teams that are hard to knock out. That's really what it comes down to. Um, in this playoffs, more than ever, it feels like you know this is a, these are the teams that you know this Sharks team. They they you know Predators almost knocked them out, but they didn't. They had they had to get through the Kings, of course. They could beat the Blues, who beat the Blackhawks. I mean, this is a this Sharks team is a very tough team to knock out. This is a team that's really and you can see it. And you're right. They they the Penguins showed it last night. I think this, this you know what we're down, and in, and during in a regular regular season game, a regular regular season game that you'd be watching in the NHL. You see momentum being taken all the time, and you don't often see it being grabbed back so quickly. But in, in, the, in the Stanley Cup Finals with these teams, it, you think, "Oh man, those two goals the Sharks just scored—that's going to—that they're, they're, the Penguins are just going to fall apart." They don't. The team, these teams, at this point, they don't fall apart. So they—that's what's so exciting about watching these teams play. Their confidence levels are so high that they realize. Yeah, there were two things I, I really took out of it. When you could kill off a penalty and then a six-on-four at the end of the game and not give up the tying goal, that's a pretty big deal. But the other thing is, the last two rounds, the Penguins' strength of opponents was a lot harder than the Sharks. The Sharks may have had deep series, but their teams could not score at the same rate, and they weren't as fast as the Penguins. And I think the Penguins had 
for that first game one, they were used to playing a higher quality opponent. They really were. And let me just be the skunk at the garden party here because on that on that game winning goal by Benino, if if it was called correctly, there should have been a penalty for knocking the stick out of Brent Burns's hands. There was no call. That was ridiculous. And the officials, uh, and it, granted, it was with about I think 15 seconds left in regulation, but the penalty uh, was killed off for for Pittsburgh. And the puck was th- thrown back into the Pittsburgh zone from, I believe, the face-off circle yeah. in the Pittsburgh defensive zone, and there was no icing call. That would have been another face-off in the zone. You know, it's a thousand-to-one shot that there would have been. They would have won the face-off and got a chance, but it wasn't icing and it wasn't called. So I'm not yeah. saying that you know because we know that this is the probably you know, one of the best crews that they could put together. But those were two calls that I think were missed. Icing in general was a very they were calling that very interesting all game. It was it was when we talk about consistently inconsistent, that was clear <laughs> as day for, for icing. And you know, it's sometimes easy to look at those things. And I mean I'm happy Mikey brought them up because it is I think they are important, but it's easy to look at those when you lose and be like, oh man, those were the things. The Pens deserved to win that game. I think we can all I think we all agree the Pens did deserve to win that game. Yeah, I think the refs were making guys skate harder for the icing call. Like, during the regular season, they're waving them off a lot easier because they don't want guys getting hurt, whatever. They know now this is this is it. And so they were making guys work harder to try and not just go the whole length for a touch-up if they could possibly beat the opponent. But they were waiting until the last second to call icing. Well, here's the thing, Russ, and you're dead on right. This is, I didn't even think of this, but I'm glad you brought it up, Joe, because this is a re- – what was happening is when you're there, you get a real sense of how fast this game was being played. I mean, this, the speed of these two teams is unbelievable. I mean, watch, you know, going from watching the NHL, even like the Flyers Capitals series, to this is just enormous jump, right, in speed. Yeah. And because these guys are skating so fast and so hard, it is obvious when a guy is when a guy is when a guy is like is pulling up and, and trying to get an icing call. You know, when he's not skating as hard, when he starts slowing down, it becomes obvious because you see the speed that they're going at all the time. And suddenly he can't skate any faster than that? No. You know, like we just saw him fly out of the zone. So you, I think that's what's happening in, in, to a degree. And I, I kind of – I'm I'm for that. You know, I really think that, you know, icing should be real icing. I mean, I'm, I'm really mad that the NHL went back on what they had before. I talked about this before, but it's a little pet peeve of mine. And after the lockout, we had this rule that they were calling all the time that a missed pass was not an icing. Right. You made a pass and it just didn't connect. But it was that it, it was an icing. It, you know, as long as it was an attempted pass, it wasn't a definite clearing. Because the, the spirit of the penalty of icing is is that you know, you're just trying to jump down to get, get relaxed pressure. But if you're trying to pass to someone getting out of the zone, that was uh, that was not icing. And they went. I don't know why that just disappeared, but it, it kind of did. To me, to me, it went really hand in hand with getting rid of the two line pass. Because like by getting rid of the two line pass, you were going to see a lot more of these icing, but that were attempted passes. So I, I don't know. They got rid of that, but that. It seemed like last night that we're being really tough on the icing off. And something else from last night, too, that hasn't been touched on. Those two goalies, to be on that level of a stage and yeah. both look so calm. I don't know how. They're, they're so young. This is their first time on this level of the stage. And, my gosh, they look like nothing faced them. That's impressive. Yeah, Matt Murray had no pulse in that locker room. Like, he was just like a robot doing the interview and nothing, not too high, not too low. Like, he is just... That is the way he is in the game. You know, late in the game, the Marlowe Thornton line, they they were pummeling him with shots, and he just went in his progression and, 
and worked worked his way across the crease and just got the puck out to the safe area. And he was the same way in the locker room. Like, he wasn't phased. Nothing is phasing him. And Jones brings a lot of that kind of calm steadiness that the that Jonathan Quick does. I mean, you really do you really do realize that he studied, kind of studied under, mentored by Jonathan Quick, you know, that thing that, that Jonathan Quick has that almost arrogance, calm, arrogant calmness to him that, you know, I, I might look really, I look like you can beat me, but you're not, you're just not going to beat me. And that's the bottom line. And, you know, Martin Jones has definitely an element of that. He's a different kind of goalie, but he has an, he's a bigger goalie, but he's an element of that for sure. I was, I was, imp- I mean, just, these are, you know, I was sitting next to somebody who just said, yeah, these are just the two best teams in the NHL. You can tell oh, by yeah. watching I mean, they really, and now, you know, that, that's kind of debatable because, of course, any team that makes it this far is going to look really good. Um, the confidence, because, because confidence goes up. I mean, we've seen it in the past. Chicago has looked amazing in the finals, but the Sharks don't look like they should, neither team looks like they got their accent. But both these teams look like they are as good as you can get. The speed is there. To me, the first five minutes, the first seven minutes or so, ten minutes of the second period that the Sharks took over, though, that was telling to me because that, you're past the you're past the we're in all of being here of the first period and the Penguins just were just taking it to them, to the point where the Penguins really couldn't even touch the puck. Like they were right. the Sharks were possessing it to a level like very similar to they to what they did against Nashville really and 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 St. Louis in their clinching games where they just completely know that they have this level of of crazy checking that the Sharks do where it's just it feels like there is no space and when they did that on the Penguins I think they're going to take solace in the fact that they dominated them. You know, they really, they did. They found a way. They dominated as well as the Penguins dominated in the first period. And, uh, you know, the third period came down to what I think we're going to see a lot of the rest of the series like, which is two teams sort of like, you know, back and forth, neither team dominating. But I think that's where it's going to head to. And I, Well, I, I think, you know, and this is a, sort of an obvious point, but I'll make it, is obviously I think the first half of the first period tomorrow is going to be a big thing for San Jose because if they, you know, you you can you can excuse it as okay we're starting the series we don't know how fast Pittsburgh is you know this is our first time to the Stanley Cup final we were caught flat-footed okay you have no excuses now you know they're going to come out with their hair on fire so you have to prepare yourself for that and if you're not prepared and they go up a goal or two nothing and they're out hustling you then you're not up to the task so I mean, I think the first period for the Sharks tomorrow it will be a very big thing. Oh, it'll be it feels like a seven game series to me all the way right now. It just feels as if whoever's desperate is gonna have enough extra power to win that game. Yeah, and but if I'm the Sharks, I don't want it to go to seven. They do, they don't want to play the Penguins in that building in the game seven. They just don't I a hundred percent agree with you on that one, Russ. I think if it goes seven games and and the Sharks had a chance to clinch in game six doesn't look good. Doesn't look good for the Sharks if they're going seven. I just Pittsburgh when they're playing in that building, it, it's just and the Sharks are so not young, but they're so new. It's it's this it's game seven in the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean that's what you play for, quote unquote. But you've never been there before, and Pittsburgh has, and they've lost a game seven at home. The I Sharks are going to step on their throat at some point, and if yeah. they don't do it, they're going to have a problem. Yeah. yeah. But this and is a great. The, the good news is that it looks like the Sharks do have that in them. We saw it a little bit in that second period. Is They're going to have to make some changes. They're going to have to change their game plan. Uh, they've shown that they can adapt. That is a positive side. And that's a, that's something that if you get this far, you have to. Uh, so it, like Mike, you said it, it's going to be very telling in that first period, that first half of that first period, what team comes out because that's going to be telling about this, I think, the rest, the tone of the series. Yeah, they've yeah. got to have the same urgency as if they were going to like an In-N-Out burger and they literally just shut the doors and they couldn't get in there, like that same kind of urgency. I like that. I like that. 
Stop talking about Phil Kessel. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Who was, honestly, that was one name that you didn't hear them say a lot last night, which was interesting. You've been hearing his name a lot throughout this playoffs. He was really conspicuous by his absence last night. I, I really didn't. You know. I don't. I don't agree. I mean, I see. I mean, watching the game. Okay, he made the one incredible move at the blue line, which was phenomenal. And he then did. he really. Then he was stoned by Jones on that other on that other play by the side of the net. I mean, he could have easily scored that goal that would have won the game there. I mean, Jones made an unbelievable save on that play. I was I'm, pretty I'm cool. just saying at the level that he has played in the first three rounds, Zach. I mean, he really. It's one yeah. game. It's. You know, not everybody can you know stand on their head, but but I, I thought compared to the way he was in the first three rounds, he really hadn't shown up as big as he had. But it's a, it's going to be a long series, so he's got time to do that. Yeah. What do you guys think of Vlasic and Vlasic's play last night? I thought it was fine. I mean, I think I think Vlasic is this great unknown to people on the East Coast, and they don't get to see him enough. And I thought he made all the right plays. I, I mean, again, I think. I think Burns played great too, but he suffered because he had a cover up for Martin, and so I think that was a problem. Burns stopping Hagelin when Hagelin had that break was, a, was incredible because Hagelin got into another gear and Burns still caught him. And and if he yeah. didn't, if he didn't, that would have been a three nothing game, and it probably would have been a, a blowout. It probably would have turned into that. Not like I'm, not like I'm saying this because I'm shocked, but I you know Joe Thornton really I thought, and especially in the second period and going forward. I mean, he was throwing his weight around, which, you know, when he's a big dude, but he's never had the reputation of doing that. Um, and, you know, he had that one offensive chance where he broke in and, and fired a howitzer at, at Murray's left shoulder. He missed scoring, hitting the top corner by about three inches. Yeah, he's that was reminded me of Dave Anderchuk in 04, because Anderchuk was always a big guy. He always went under that same kind of criticism that he didn't do enough with his body, and and if you remember, Anderchuk was just such a great leader for for Tampa in in that Stanley Cup. And it seems like Thornton's picking up that that same sort of uh, vibe. He is so good at slowing the game down when he is puck crazy. Thornton's ability to just to find people and and make passes because he's, his concentration level is just crazy. And, and the one thing I'll say about the Sharks and moving on is I wasn't changing because you usually don't, you usually don't hear this analyzed, but I feel like the Sharks are better at make at receiving passes than any team in the league. It's a weird thing to say, but you know what they are? There were lots of times when passing are slightly behind or in front of them, and they still managed to pick it up and take it in speed, with speed. They, they're really, they really are good at that, and that it's one of those things that all, in all four lines, like Wiggles and Hurdle, all these, all these guys are very good at picking up passes, even if they're slightly behind them or slightly in front of them, and, and turning it into something. So, all right, let's move on to Hitchcock for a second. because Wait, um, I have one more complaint about the Stanley Cup final before we move yeah. on. Mike, were you watching? Which feed were you watching last night? I was I was watching Emmerich and uh, and Olchek and Pierre during the game, and then switched to hockey in Canada in between periods for the very reason that you discussed. They're horrific. It was hor- my my first my we'll say my major one my major complaint. They talked a lot about how the Sharks had never been there. They kept showing you like leaderboards for players who have played the most game without a Stanley Cup final appearance and talking about this is a big stage for them. During the first period intermission, they go to Crosby to talk about how long the wait has felt for him. Why are we going to talk to Crosby when you have an entire team, an organization that's never been there before? That was just 
for <laughs> TV. Talk, you, you've been talking about it the entire period. Why not then talk to the people you're talking about? I get that Crosby's been there before and maybe he's a different perspective, but these are people who have never been there before. They have an interesting perspective and you want to talk it up. That's just poor TV, poor journalism, poor whatever you want to say. That and that's representative and reflective of the whole intermission, that that whole programming. It's it's frustrating as a fan to watch it and just so easily be like, why are you doing that? Why? There's so many other great people you could talk to about this. The best thing I can say about the about the NBC broadcast is that you know Mike Emmerich is arguably the best in the game. I I, I think he's fantastic. He makes a game exciting. I like Eddie, Eddie. Eddie Olchek is insightful. I wish he wouldn't talk so much about the Kentucky Derby or the Belmont uh. State. You know that's fine. That's fine. That's that's his, that's his area of interest. in Pierre is Pierre. Um, but the the in between periods, it, they just got to do something. I mean, I understand there is a value in having somebody annoying on a show. Uh, but, but not annoying. You know, but but my God, it's a Mike Milbury. Just you know, I have to turn the channel. That's how bad it is now. It's it's tough to watch. And if they want to talk about ratings, as a hockey fan, that's hard to watch. Talk about the casual viewer. The casual viewer, you have to love the sport to be able to put up with that. And if you don't love it. You're gonna have a hard time, and you're gonna be like, "Ah, oh, that Golden State Warriors game—that's more interesting." Put 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 the two broadcasts side to side, Jillian. I after the after the Stanley Cup was over with, I turned on Game Seven of, of Golden State and 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 uh, and Oklahoma City, and you had Charles Barkley and Shaq O'Neal yucking it up with uh, with Kenny Smith, and it's good television, and it's you know, it's not all negative. It's some a little positive. It's a little funny. It's this and that, and. You're not getting that from NBC. Do you know what else, though? They don't take themselves so freaking seriously. What? My gosh, lighten up. Show a little bit of your personality. Is that is that who you are in real life? Because that's not interesting. Oh, and, you don't want to see person. You don't want to see Milbury's real personality. He'll <laughs> go into the crowd again. You don't want to do that. But, you know what? That might be more interesting. It might because I'm sorry. It's just it's so tough to watch because it's just they. It's like they take themselves so serious about it, and it's like that's just. As a fan of the sport, I want you to be excited about it, and you don't sound excited. You don't. If we're going to see Mike Milbury's real personality, ban all footwear at Console Energy Center. <laughs> I like I don't, I, again, I'm so, I, I don't like to be negative. It's more of this is a, a, a frustrating point as a fan. It really is. It's fair. I'm Jerry Rodick staying right next to me right there in that one. Right uh, I hope you heard me. <laughs> yeah. I was funny last night. I, just, I got I got out. I went I went downstairs to get some Benadryl because I was having some sort of crazy allergic reaction or something. So I, I, I leave I leave here and I walk outside, and Ronick's walking in. Hey, what's up? So he's right. Next. Um, all right, Hitchcock. Let's talk Hitchcock for a second. Hitchcock has been extended for one year, and he says this is last year. He's um done with that coaching after this year. I'm glad. I think that's so cool to be able to call your own shot there, Hitch, because. Yeah. I, it's cool for a coach. Cool a coach can you never see this. You never see a coach's farewell for a year. Um, coaches always go as long as they possibly can until they're fired for the last. Yeah, but so it's this, but it's ahead, it's a little bit awkward for 
uh, the coaching staff because they're sort of in limbo. I mean, we've already heard, I think it was uh, Brad Shaw was the, one of his, the assistant coaches, and he was only offered a one-year deal, and Kirk Muller was only offered a one-year deal. Yeah. And I guess Shaw said he's not coming back, and Muller is mulling offers from Anaheim and you know, maybe maybe, maybe oh, in the mix for Anaheim or Calgary. So, I mean, that that's the thing. It's, it's tough to put together a staff when you know that they're only going to be there for a year unless – there are some assurances on the part of Doug Armstrong that you know the next coach is going to be part of that staff and he can just assume the job. But maybe Armstrong doesn't even have assurances he'll be back. Right. Yeah, so, so, so what I'm saying is it's a very uncertain situation. So I mean, in, in a way, I mean, I, I I will grant you Hitchcock is a, is a great coach and he deserves to go out on his own terms. But the one year thing, it's going to be tough for him to you know unless he's kind of calling favors to people we know. You know, people he knows, it's going to be tough for him to put a staff together unless there's assurances. You know, you're never going to have problems kind of finding people to be assistant coaches in the NHL, though. I mean, that's like, that's, there's, um, there's so many coaches who, who want to, who, that's the next logical step for them, you know, and they can't, people won't hire just head coaches if you've never been on it, but you want them, you have been on an NHL staff. So I don't think they're going to have any problem getting assistants there. And I think Hitch actually likes the idea of working with different people. So I think, mm -hmm. even though he's no disrespect with people he's with, I think there's something to hitch about, you know, I can see very much saying, you know, just that, bringing in another, another group of people, just a new, fresh, fresher voice, you know, because see, so he's not the only one talking to them. But this is my thing about Hitchcock. I've long thought this, that he is the John Madden of hockey, that if, if, when he, if he retires, he should, be, he should be the guy who takes over for people like, say, Mike Milbury, and, and in between periods or whatever, and he can, this is the guy you want doing this, because he is hilarious. I've talked to him so many times about players one on one. He has really interesting ideas and 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 very very strict like um, I want to say stereotypes of players. Like there's some players he believes that are this is what they're. It's hard to change his mind ever. Um, and you know he just has that kind same kind of personality that John Madden has in football. You know who he would be so perfect for this job. You know I think like NHL NHL you know 2019 could be called could be called Hitchcock hockey instead of Madden you know Madden football. I think that I would I would so much go with Hitchcock hockey. I think that would be amazing. He is the perfect so I and he's, he's you know he's not necessarily going to be in, within the game, but in in the in the intermissions like a Don Cherry for America type person, he's that guy. I mean, if you, we've all seen his bench interviews. They're they're so candid. It's yeah, it's a little bit refreshing because I know sometimes we want to see them say what they're really feeling, quote unquote, yeah. and he comes as close to that as anybody. Well, uh, he knows he he he, he, um, he has his ideas. I mean, he, there are some great stories about things he's done in the past to try to determine um, who are the who the leaders are on his team. My favorite one ever was was this story that I heard, where he he put all of his players into a room and said, "You got to finish this." And he handed him a test, a basic test, like on a piece of paper. Um, you know, this, he said, "This is your IQ test. We're giving you we're giving you all IQ tests." He says, "Under no circumstances are you allowed to leave the room until the IQs until all every, until everyone's done." Then I will come in, and you'll take your test, and you can go. No, no circumstance you're allowed to leave. So he gives him the IQ test, and then he pumps smoke into the room. Like, sound, just to smell like something is burning, to smell like there's a fire in the building, like significant amounts of smoke um, in through the vents, you know, the, the, you know and, then, and then you hear, like, a siren off the side, siren. And um, he wanted to see, you know, what player was the first to stand up and just take control. He wanted to see who his leaders were, and this is this way, his way of doing it, you know, because because you know crowds. There's a there's a huge conformity aspect to us in society. It's not for all people. It's like if you're told not to do something, 
you won't. A lot of people won't ever do it. Right. They'll the building's burning down around them until they really see the flames. They're going to see like, oh, I'm not supposed to leave under any circumstances. He wanted to see who the who the leaders were because the leaders would be the ones who stand up and, and get up. I thought that's. I mean, I, that's that's like what you're talking about here with Hitchcock. Yeah, it, the thing that's interesting, and we've talked about it in relation to Hitchcock and David Backus. Hitchcock coming back for one more year. Backus is a free agent this year. He's not going to sign a one-year contract. So how do you know? Well, yeah. I mean, no, well, I mean, it, it would be highly unusual, Russ, to, for somebody looking looking for a, probably a long, his last long-term deal of his career to sign a one-year deal to stay with you know to stay with Hitchcock. I mean, this whole situation is a little bit unusual, don't you think? I mean, this is a team that went to the they were one game away from the Stanley Cup. Hitchcock is able to talk them all into coming back and yeah. giving it one more go. He might be able to do that. Yeah, I think I think he could. I don't see why he wouldn't. Now, if he does that, then it's bad news for guys like Jordan Bennington and guys who are trying to break into that lineup because it's going to be near impossible to do it. Right. And, and, maybe, bad, and maybe bad news for Vladimir Tarasenko. No. How's it bad news for him? I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> that was going to be an interesting one. I, I liked your reaction right away, Russ. So we also got the State of the Union yesterday, which we, I got to sit sit two rows from, um, as Gary Bettman told everybody what the heck was going on. And um, with with Bill Daly and the, the the dynamic between Bettman and Daly always cracks me up. It's one of the funniest dynamics in all of sports. Um, and there were a couple moments yesterday where, you know, you Gary said, ask Bill a question, you know, like that kind of thing. And and, yeah. and then someone asked Bill a question on the Olympics, and Gary's like, um, unless you want me to answer that one, Bill's like, I want you to answer that one. <laughs> so there was a funny moment with that. It was about the Olympics. Um, yeah, the Olympics were the Olympics. The Olympic situation suddenly the the gauntlet was thrown out, man. And this and this this was like we we had heard all oh, maybe they're going to Olympics, maybe they're not going to Olympics. Suddenly it was there was no question what was happening here. They unless they unless they put the money up, the the NHL's not going to the Olympics. And this is but but this has been the direction that it's been going for the last yeah, six never months. Been, now it's it's never been said. Yeah, now I it's definitive. The NHL doesn't do things like this. The NHL does not wholly attack people in press conferences. They don't. That's not their style. For them to do this is a, is a, it was a seriously calculated thing that they thought about. We are going to go in there and we are going to lay it down. At, Here's honestly. the thing. Here's what I've learned, Eck. And and the NHL gave their side, but we didn't know the other side. So I learned the other side on my Facebook page. And the other side is that. The IOC and the IIHF have about a $35 million budget for like 20-something tournaments this year, like 28 tournaments. So to them, they're looking at it like we've got to stretch our dollars to cover all these tournaments because they're not making, they're not really making money on a lot of these tournaments, if any at all. Right. And so that's where they're looking at it like we're having a cash shortfall, and then the NHL is looking at it like, well, the owners don't really want the players to go, so unless you're paying for insurance, we're not going to send them. And so. They're at that point now, I think, of no return. And he didn't want to say that, but they look like they're at the point of no return for this one and for the one after that, too. That's the way, that's the feeling, because there's no talks going on with right. China. And you would think at this, at some point, they would have at least had an email or a discussion like, let's do this in the next couple of years, have a meeting, nothing, no talks. And what was the line that Bettman had? Is like, we're not going to pay to interrupt our own season, something like that? Right. I mean, You're not going to pay they're not going to pay for the luxury of inter having their own season interrupted. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, there, there it is right there. I mean, I, I think, you know, and I'm maybe I'm overemphasizing it, but the, you know, in the wake of Tavares getting hurt at the Olympics a few years ago, in, in the wake of the, the interrupting the season for two weeks, it, down the stretch, 
the fact that it's going to be you know eight time zones away in South Korea and then in China doesn't have any impact of growing the game unless you consider like you know you know viewership in China. Uh, I just don't think there's a, there's a really a benefit for the league, and I think what's going to end up happening is it's going to go back to the way the Olympics was, at least for the next few times. It's going to go back to the way the Olympics was in, say, 1994, where uh, you have, like, junior players and Eric Lindros, who or, or 92, who was holding out and, you yeah. know, uh, P- Peter Nevin. Like a mixture of the World Championships and the Spengler Cup, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be that. Yeah. And somebody will try and make a comeback because that, that always happens too. You're, you're right, but here's the thing. Here's the other thing that was really interesting because when the Olympics has always been sold to us, okay, the concept of whether we're going or not going to the Olympics has always been sold to us as a thing that the players want to go, but the owners don't want to go. Right. And there's, that's always been the, always been the message, right? Right. Well, yes, they were very. That was the players weren't even talked about in that thing. It's, it's as if it's, so the owners, if they're not paying for it, forget it. You know, like we're not we're not doing it. So and we're still can do it, of course, because. Yeah, someone has to pay for it. The players aren't going to pay for it. It's a fight. The players can't win at this point, and yeah. they decided yeah, to sort of throw it down. Like it's really nice you want to go to the Olympics and all, but forget about you know. The, normally they're much more polite about it. Yeah, they're always like you know we we know that what it means to play for your country. We know how much these players it means to players like that. Uh, no, this is it. You're not going because they're not paying for it. And it's like I don't think it's going to hurt the growth, quote unquote, growth of the sport. The game is still going to be played in the Olympics. It's, to me, right. it just makes the the NHL to to just the, anybody who's looking at it and like doesn't know the full story. The NHL is the one who looks a little like, why? Are you, what are you trying to do? It looks a little, and then you say, oh, they're playing in the middle of their season. People might understand that, but then with the NHL trying to do the World Cup of Hockey, everyone's immediately comparing it to the World Cup soccer, and so it just looks like the NHL is trying to control a little bit more, which it makes sense. But I don't think it's necessarily bad for the sport in general. Um, the Olympics, they still are going to play ice hockey, so it's not like it's not going to be there. And winning the gold medal in the Olympics is still winning the gold medal in the Olympics. So. Oh, yeah. I, I just, I look, I, I'm one that doesn't believe that the NHL picks up a lot of people after the Olympics. I just don't think they do. No. I think there are Olympic watchers, um, and then there's NHL fans, and they're different. They're very different because a lot of friends that I know Never watch the NHL, but like watching the NHLers in the Olympics and talk about it for those couple of weeks, and then go back to dormancy. Right. Yeah, great. True. Great. TJ Oshie got a got a, a contract from Enterprise Rent a Car. Other than that, I don't I don't know how much of a benefit there was to the to the Olympics in Sochi for for Team USA. Uh, and, and I, I heard some theory that you know some people are rooting for the World Cup of Hockey this September to be a financial disaster, so that would make the NHL go back. I think they they're complete non sequiturs. The thing is, is that the PA, the NHL, and the IIHF are benefiting from the World Cup of Hockey, and they're not benefiting diddly from the Olympics, other than exposure. But everything is World Cup of Hockey. There's World a secondary. Go ahead, I was going to say, there's a secondary storyline now brewing because we all were kind of wondering, hey, Slava Boynov was on that list. Yeah. Can he play? And so the NHL, all Bettman said was he is still suspended. He didn't say he can't play. He didn't say if he plays, there's going to be a problem. He didn't say if he plays, we're going to sue him. He just said he spoke to the Russian Federation and let them know that he's still suspended. But to be honest, the Russian Federation, there's no transfer agreement with these with these leagues anymore, and if they want to just sort of overstep their bounds, 
they could have Slavovoinov show up, and I'm not sure anything can happen. I yeah, think he could, I don't I, think there is anything. I mean, I know the NHL is putting it on, but I don't think that it's it's not the NA it's not the NHL. It's the World Cup of Hockey. It's a separate right. event. No, it is the NHL. It is. It's, 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 it's not. It's He's suspended from the NHL. He's not is is that suspension also from the World Cup of Hockey? This is the NHL's party though, and they can they can tell they can say who comes who doesn't come, and they're gonna they're gonna they're the ones who are putting putting the bill for all this stuff. I mean, all the insurance that's being paid for on this thing is by the NHL. This is completely this is them now. What I could see, and I heard this morning some tough talk from a source of mine in Russia about how if Voynov's not allowed to play, maybe the Russians don't send a team to the World Cup of Hockey. And that could be interesting if that plays out because then what yeah. do you do? You know, I, mean, I don't think he should play. I don't want. I particularly don't want him there. I don't think that he does anything good. Uh, maybe on the ice he does, but I think his story was uh, one of uh, he was the NHL was lucky they didn't really have to do too much. It kind of took care of itself. Um, yeah. So I, I don't I don't mind if he doesn't play. <laughs> but I wonder if the Russians would do that. Well, if, if if the Russians don't show up, maybe they'll take a, the the uh, the NHL will take up John Scott on his proposal to put the, all the rejected players oh, on, it, on so the team. You know, Phil Kessel yeah. and uh, Shattenkirk and Justin Falk, and there you go. And there you have your next category. Um, moving on to uh, <laughs> nothing. Uh, never mind. Can we can we can we mention expansion? Let's talk about expansion. Yep. Um, I personally have been expanding for the last year and trying to lose weight, but um, I think that what we need to do as far as expansion goes, the NHL, the, the most interesting thing about yesterday for me was came towards the end of the expansion that talks when they talked about, okay, what are the expansion rules set? And he said, yeah, the rules are set, um, basically. Maybe a couple things. And then Bettman, Bettman interrupted Daly and said, understand that whether we expand... The expansion rules—they all—they all intertwined. So that that suddenly made me think. Okay, wait a second. Is this a negotiation? Are we looking at like the expansion rules being adjusted so the people on the expansion committee agree with the expansion idea? Um, that 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 was something that just to me really to started me, it's all to about the draft. It's all about the expansion draft. And I think it's all about the teams not wanting to protect the players that they have bad contracts for. And if they're going to have to protect those guys, that's going to be a big problem for them. And I right. think they're trying to sort of say, well, listen, if you want expansion, you're going to have to soften up on that stance, or maybe we're going to vote down expansion this year. And that's why Bettman said if it's not this year, maybe it's going to be next year. We're, we don't, we can't tell you yet until June 20th, 21st. Well, a couple of the things that were interesting was the fact that they said, like, you know, say for example, a team like Chicago, and I'm just pulling this team out of thin air, but a team that has a lot of no move clauses on on their on their particular yeah. on their roster, if they have uh, too many that they have to protect, you know, if they have more than eight or more than ten, um, Daly insinuated that there would be players or picks that would have to be provided to the expansion team to make up for the fact that they were outside the norm of what you know could be protected so you know there there there's some there is some leeway and some negotiation going on here but one thing i also i thought was interesting was they pretty much did away with the provision about uh the amount of salary cap that you would have to expose in the expansion draft, that because uh, the talk was at least 25% of your 
of your team salary cap would have to be exposed to the draft, and now that's being dropped because, I mean, I'm not sure why, but it it, it seems to be a fluid situation. But and and I just got a text from somebody right now who said uh, who said this is not for me, but he said consider this, An another year gives teams another year to figure out how to protect players. That's true. Another year, all another year also gives Seattle to get their get their game together. Yeah, and I think that, which um, you know, I think inevitably that what they're trying to do though, I I have heard that Quebec is in. Like I I, despite that there's been so much talk, it's just Vegas, it's just Vegas, it's just Vegas. I have heard that it is Vegas and Quebec, but if you wait two more years, it could be Vegas, Quebec, and Seattle. That that that. There's a possibility of that happening. That the NHL is not just looking at two teams; they're really looking at four. I heard, and that they really that there's three, you know, three could come within the next couple of years. Well, if, I guess if, I mean Seattle yeah. just like about a month ago shut down essentially the arena project. Like they just so Seattle yeah. I, and they would love it not just for the NHL. They really want their NBA team back, and they still can't get it. So I, I don't see mm -hmm. Seattle yeah, happening. Talk right. people in Seattle about that, and there's a chicken or egg thing going on there, right? Because the, they're saying we're having a tough time with this arena project, but if the NHL would give us a team, we wouldn't be. Then we would be able to get we would be able to get the funding needed. But this is, and, this it's not even the funding; they well, have to shut down a street. They have to essentially right, shut down right. everything on a street. That was what they that's what they said no to. But why is it on the NHL? The NBA the NBA owes them a team. They basically let a billionaire just move a team for no reason. I went to a SuperSonics game the year that they were moving that we didn't know that they were moving. And I was in I was in an area where it was packed. The arena was great. I went to practice. The fans were were trem tremendous fans, and they just abandoned them. So they yeah, that owner did have to pay. They, he had to pay for that because they they filed a lawsuit, so he had to yeah. pay. And they yeah. wanted to. And it's a great city for sports. They an NHL team and an NBA team would be wildly successful there. I yeah. just don't see it happening because the city has to. City council has to agree on a lot of things to make that arena happen. And the last time they started bringing an arena in, in their Soto area, it got shut down. It's going to keep getting shut down. I don't see it happening. I don't. And I love Seattle, and I want it to happen there. So that it does make me sad to say that, because I think those teams would be successful there. Well, if, if, if there was expansion and it was three teams, as you said, then that would lend the possibility of that three, like you'd have three conferences of 11 teams. You could have you could have a three conference setup. There wouldn't be so much of that uh, that set, that problem with does Columbus go back to the West or does Detroit go back in the West because those teams would be part of a central division, say. I would and, love that. Know, yeah, I mean that that would make it possible. But Jillian's point is is right on. I mean, right now the situation in Seattle doesn't sound you know. Uh, I mean, they if if a if the NHL awarded them a team, they would probably have to be. They, they probably wouldn't have put a shovel in the ground until they are awarded the team, and they'd probably have to play in the, what, key arena for a year or two, which I'm sure the NHL wouldn't want to do, but that would have to if that was the price they had. They would Here's have to what I think. I still think Vegas is getting their team this year. I yep. still think the NHL owners want to pocket the expansion fee, yep. and, and I think it is going to happen. I think it is just a negotiation. That's all it is. And I, ultimately, though, I, I think it's going to go through. I just think... They wanted to sort of create some doubt there, so we don't all think, "Oh, this is like a done deal, and it's gonna." But not for I think. Well, but just, just just think of it this way, Russ. They have to set up the parameters of 
the expansion draft now because if they only expand by one, when they do expand again, they can just go back to the expansion rules and and put them in place. They can't keep moving them back and forth. But here's the thing: I don't think any of this. I don't think they're keeping it from us because of some big reveal. I think they're keeping it, which a lot, which is the impression that they think they want people to have. I think they're keeping it from us because they, like, you were right onto something before when you said, Russ, that this is, they want to, like, whenever you're negotiating anything, right, you're negotiating anything at all, you want the other side to think you can walk away, right, that you can walk away, like, I don't have to buy this car. Okay, mm-hmm. I can do it. So when they say this in one of these press conferences, telling the people who are who they're trying to get commitment from on the expansion team that they're able to walk away, more so than telling us because they keep saying we know how frustrating it is for you, we know what you want to know, and the reason that they can't they can't they do not want us to know what they're negotiating. That's what they don't want us. To know. Well, but there's other two other things at play here though too. Yeah. You know, Daly was a little coy about the about the. The cap, but obviously yeah. the cap's not going up much. So maybe it'll be a million, and maybe that's it. And that's why he wouldn't say it's staying the same. Russ, it, it was, it was. I mean, basically, it was subtle pressure on the PA to use the escalator clause because when he says right. relatively flat, that means nothing. It's staying at seventy-one point four. So if you want, uh, money, if, you want if you want money in free agency, you better jack it up, boys, because otherwise it's going to sit right where it was this year. I think they'll throw him a bone and it'll be a little bit, but they definitely are going to vote for the escalator. I can see it happening. Which means more escrow, which they hate. Yeah, they do hate it. The more they they are so determined to tell us it could could take longer, every every press conference they tell us, there are three ways to go. Give an expansion team, we could give an expansion team in a lot further out. So that so me, one of the all of the possible all of the possible options that are physically available. Right. Like that. I can say yes. They're going to have to say no. Right. So, but they're they're so obsessed with that the other that other part of, of it being further out that I I think that that's a real option. I really think that that's a real thing. Like they've said it so many times. Although the one thing I will say is last night at one point when um, I think it was I forget who asked. Doesn't matter. Who said is is seventeen eighteen possible at this point? They were quick to say no, no, no. It's very seventeen eighteen is very possible still. So, I also think they need to be careful of doing it too far out if it is going to be Vegas because right now there is actual interest in Vegas for them to have a team. You keep putting that out and all of a sudden people right. stop caring. All of a sudden that deposit you put down for your season tickets is now is is just money that you no longer are accounting for. Three years go by, four years go by, like, whatever, I'm over it. I mean, let's just say this. I mean, if you're discouraged by the chances of of the NHL going to the the Olympics based on what Bettman and Daly said yesterday, you have to be encouraged that there is going to be an announcement you know, before the NHL awards, the the week of the NHL draft, in Vegas, it's set up too perfectly for. The, I mean, they wouldn't they wouldn't put the deadline on June twenty second and say, "Oh, we're gonna stiff you, Vegas." They're gonna they're they're putting that deadline there because they're gonna have you know the 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 the, the, uh, the uh, showgirls walk out and yep. say, "Welcome to the NHL." It's set up yep. that way. It makes too and much. And actually, sense. somebody asked somebody you know asked Batman about the NFL because they're getting close now to yes. having a team there and, and they brought up the NBA but the NBA is not really close but the NFL is and 
and so you could tell that he wants to be first. Like yes. that was obvious. Well, the, the Raiders. Saw that. I saw I think that. Being first is important too. The, the Raider. The Raiders signed a two-year, a, a a one year with an option in Oakland to stay in Oakland. So it's not going to happen until at least 2017, 2018. Right. That was that's a good point. I saw that too. Because he said he said it's not like we'll be devastated if there's an NFL team there. But the way he said it was really, it was really like, yeah, but we will be really upset about it. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they need to be the first there. I think if they're going to do it, they should be the first. Yeah. The first pro team in that city gets the red carpet rolled out for them, exactly. and if they're competing with the NFL right away, they're in trouble. Right. Mm -hmm. And that red carpet, you can get $20 of free chips. And also, my question would be, what is the difference in ticket prices for the NHL and NFL? Because NHL has expense. Their ticket prices aren't cheap, generally right. speaking, and they're probably not going to be at a brand-new, nice arena in Vegas. Uh, they'll be casino comps, too. It'll be worked in. Yeah, but but if you're competing with the NFL right away, all of a sudden, you're, maybe the interest, the ticket price, the differences aren't enough really to be like, oh, well, it's cheaper for the NHL. All of a sudden, it's like, that's only like 20, 40 more bucks for the NFL. Let's do that. If the if the NHL goes to Vegas, you may actually get me to go to Nevada to cover a Leaf game. Otherwise, I have no interest. I think it's, a, I think it's very interesting. I think it's an interesting... You know, people wanted to talk about Nashville, and they saw we've seen success in Nashville. I think it'd be great to see hockey be successful in Vegas. I think it is possible, but we'll see. I have doubts, but we'll see. I, we will see. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I like it in Phoenix. I, I really do. I, I love the fact that the NHL's in Phoenix. I, Vegas is a good natural rival for them. And I know, I know, Vegas is is not just gambling. I mean, people people throw this out. Vegas is a big city. Um, the really with a really thriving suburbs, and you know has it, there's a lot there. So, it, it, you know there's a lot of people there, and more if you have a team there, you you know you'll get Austin Matthews out of there. So there's a lot of benefits. There, so, you, you yeah. need, they need to be successful, like or experience moderate success very quickly, or else there's a problem. But I think if they can experience some level well, of success, can, can, I, can, can I can I can I also criticize? And I think it was I think it was Bill Daly, who said the most ridiculous comment of the entire. Uh, state of the game situation when he said that based on the parameters that they're putting together that the expansion team put together you know, they've run models and they said that that team could compete for a playoff spot right away no. unless, you're, unless no. you're expanding the playoff pool to 31 teams good luck that's no. not happening I mean, I'm, I mean, and I'm all for models running but I think that the, the concept is completely... I'm for models. <laughs> um, Alright. A little stuff you should know, because people have been asking about like why we, we're doing more of this, because obviously we're busy, and this is, but I want to do a little stuff you should know. Today I want to do the origins of the Stanley Cup, which I think is something that we don't really talk about too often, but here we are in the Stanley Cup Finals. We sort of know it, but do you really know it? That's the idea. So here we go. Okay, so this is what I've got. After, um, after the Lord Stanley of Preston, remember Preston is in England, um, Canada was part of England until I think 2016 or 12 or something like that. Um, but recently, Canada just left England. Um, that's not true either. Um, after Lord Stanley of Preston was appointed by Queen Victoria as Governor General of Canada on June 11th in 1868, sorry, 1888, he and his family became highly enthusiastic about ice hockey. Okay, and he was the first. Um, hold on one second. Shoot. 
Uh, once I got a call coming in, I hate to do this to you guys. Sorry, this is important. One second. Darn it. Uh, one second. Give me one second. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I have something I can add in the meantime. Please, um, please do. I don't know if you guys saw the mayor's bets between uh, San Jose and Pittsburgh. And I just yeah. think that's something good that should be noted because also there was another one with, like, the city council, more or less, where they also are collecting donations for the Boys and Girls Club, and both will receive the donations they they get. It's just the other person has to deliver it in the winning team's jersey. So, Well, if, yeah. if, if part of the bet was Iron City beer... Turn the bet down. Well, no. I, what I what I like about this one, though, is that it's not about food or about you know beverages. It's, that's like so outdated. That's like that's so boring anymore. You expect it, so it's kind of nice to see him doing something different. That's what I think. Okay, half of our panel is on the phone here. <laughs> so, Mike, how's life? How's oh, life? Oh, it's wonderful. Right. Sorry, sorry, guys. Sorry, that was this campus thing. Okay, that was the source that I've been waiting for. So that's why I'm. We can do a story on San Francisco this afternoon, so it'll get kind of interesting. So let me. Um, <laughs> goodness, I apologize. That was that was really uh, crazy, and I've been waiting for that person for a couple of weeks. So. All right, there you go. So Lord Stanley, okay, um, decides, and uh, he becomes enthusiastic about hockey, and then he, you know, he was first exposed in the 1988 Winter Carnival in Montreal, which still goes on. The Winter Carnival in Montreal is a fantastic carnival. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be the 1888. Sorry, not the 1988. Um, I'm sorry, I'm thrown. Two of his sons played ice hockey, actually. Two of his sons, two of Lord Stanley's sons played ice hockey. And uh, in what later became the OHA, basically, and that, that formed the OHA. They were first-round draft picks of the Ottawa Silver 7. His two sons' names? Arthur and Algeron. Algeron Stanley, apparently. He doesn't look anything like... The the uh, the Lord Stanley that walks magically through the locker room door that is gr greeted by um by Backstrom in that famous commercial where we see you know who where you see the Backstrom sitting there and and Lord Stanley walk through and Backstrom says who are you <laughs> in his best acting as opposed to who are you or who are you because who are you uh, it's not that Lord Stanley nothing like that. So this is Lord Stanley's quote that gets the Stanley Cup going. I've been thinking for some time that it would be a good thing if there were a Challenge Cup, which should be held from year to year by the champion hockey team in the Dominion, which, of course, was Canada. Um, there does not appear to be any such outward sign of championship at the present, and considering general interest, which matches now, which, which matches now elicit, and the importance of having the game played fairly and under the rules generally recognized, I am willing to give a, give a cup, which shall be held from year to year by the winning team. I am not quite certain that the present regulations governing the arrangement of the matches give the entire satisfaction, and it would be worth considering whether they could or not be arranged that each team would play once at home and once and play or run, once on the place where their opponents hail from. So originally the Stanley Cup was supposed to be a best of two series. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that works exactly. Um, but yeah, so soon afterwards, Stanley purchased what is frequently described as a decorative as a decorative punch bowl. <laughs> You know, um, but which silver expert John Combe identified as a Rose Bowl made in Sheffield, England, and sold by London silversmith G.R. Collins and Company. Now Boodle and Dunthorne, if you're looking to buy your own Stanley Cup. Boodle and Dunthorne, that's, that's made the original one. Um, they bought it for 10 guineas. Not guinea pigs, but 10 guineas. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Equal to ten and a half pounds sterling, um, the U.S. equivalent of forty-eight dollars and sixty-seven cents. That's what we pay for the Stanley Cup. Forty-eight dollars and sixty-seven cents. 
um, which is equal to today's terms to roughly $1,282. Or one meal of Phil Kessel. Or one year's salary for that for the average hockey buzz blogger. Um, <laughs> yeah, the word for the Minion Hockey Challenge Cup written on it. Um, engraved on the one side on the outside rim and from Stanley of Preston on the other side. Originally, Stanley intended the cup should be awarded to the top amateur hockey team in Canada. Okay? Um, but he decided the acceptance of the challenges from others' teams, and he made five preliminary regulations. I'll end with this. The five regulations that originally were supposed to... It's like, the, it's like a David Letterman top ten list. Ready? Number five. Okay. The winner shall return the cup in good order when required by the trustees so that it may be handed over to any other team which may win it. Number two, each winning team... At its own expense, they have the club name and the end year engraved on the silver ring fitted on the cup. So you're supposed to pay for it yourself, which I don't think they do anymore. Number three, the cup shall remain a challenge cup and should not become property of any one team, if, even if won more than once. Number four, the trustees shall maintain absolute authority in all situations or disputes over the winner of the cup. And number five, if one of the existing trust trustees resigns or draws, the remaining trust will not get There you have it. And that, that was how we ended up with the sample. I will tell you this. I think the teams do still pay for the engraving because yeah. I think that's why they vote on who could be on it and who can't. Maybe you're right. It's also limited space. They have right. There's a certain amount of players that can be put on the... Uh, and what's the year? Uh, a, ring, a ring is equivalent to how many... I'm trying to remember how many years I was on a ring, but we all I know is that we're two years away from Gordie Howe's name being taken off the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah, Which I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many years per ring, but I, I would. Yeah, if you go to the if you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto, you can see the rings which are, which are displayed on a wall. Um, they are, there are, I believe, right? I'm not right about this. I yeah. saw it. They're in a, they're in a they're in a, like an ante room where you can see yeah. the. Yeah. You the can see the original cup there. Yeah. Rings that were taken off and the original cup, which is this is not. Of course, yeah, the other. The Leafs, the Leafs just won't exist on the Stanley Cup, which is fine by many. <laughs> the smallest the smallest city ever to win the Stanley Cup. Kenora, Ontario. The Kenora, Ontario, a population of 4,000. When the Kenora Thistles, what a name, <laughs> the Thistles, nothing, nothing inspires fear like a thistle. Uh, you get a thistle under your under your buttocks, and you tell me if you feel that way yeah, afterward. They won the cup in January of 1907, aided um, by a future Hall of Famers, Art Ross and Bad Joe Hall. The Thistles defeated the Montreal Wanderers in a two-game. Montreal Drifters, essentially, in a two-game... He, so he was so bad, he was good. I know. There you go. So that was it. There's your history about what you should know about the Stanley Cup. Um, enjoy the game uh, tomorrow. We'll talk again tomorrow. There's no game tonight. Remember, without the buzz, it is just hockey. We'll talk to you soon. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. See the latest designs from your favorite brands, including Thermador, at your local Ferguson showroom.